this in this time. Welcome to Ashamed of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's uh, Severe Case of Crabs, a Game of Thrones. Uh, my name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. Good evening, Doug. Good evening, Brian. And with us, we have a very shameful guest. Uh, I'll let you introduce yourself to, uh, I don't know what to call you, whether you want to go by uh, your real name or your real name. So, uh, My usual name would be fine, as everyone knows me as Face. Okay, Face. This is Face. And uh, he, let's, let's start off by uh, asking Face a little bit about uh, how he got into Game of Thrones and whether you read the books, all that nonsense. Yeah, well, I started off um, by watching the first season. And um, really, when, when I saw the first episode, uh, I pretty much launched into the books right, right then and there. So wow. I got the first book out of the way and the first season out of the way pretty much at the exact same time. And then I picked up the books from there, and my, I was done with the books by this time second season started. All right, that's faster than Brian, though, So uh, because Brian took, what, what were you, third season before you decided, hey, I might want to read these these books. Oh, I don't even think we started watching it until like the third season. Oh, really? You didn't? Yeah. Even... Then once I started watching, I got on board with the books. But knowing Face for as long as I've known him, uh, he's the he's the kind of person who once he likes something, then he latches on and digs in uh, and, and will uh, really get into the thing, which is something uh, I admire about him. Well, that's oddly uh, sincere, and I don't like it. So stop that shit. Yeah, that kind of grosses <laughs> me out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Real jerk too but yeah i mean i i think i i i I don't know i'd say i'm like that sometimes uh when i get a find a new podcast or a new show on netflix i will binge the shit out of it Um, yeah i may i may have already watched all of uh stranger things in like one day oh how was it i've heard good things i I absolutely loved it loved it that's the first love i've heard but uh i haven't talked to anybody in person who's seen it so everybody check out uh, stranger things on netflix uh before the price hike which is coming in august um all right, so let's get into this episode. Uh, we, we always do initial thoughts. This is uh, uh, episode three, season one, Lord Snow. And I want to hear you guys' initial impressions, I guess. I'll start out. I th- this episode was kind of boring to me. Um, and uh, The reason is that we know all of these things that they discussed. Uh, so it's a lot of exposition and not a lot of surprises. And I don't think that this episode held any great insights or any real foreshadowing that was particularly interesting. Um, so on the whole, uh, I, I wasn't a huge fan of this episode in this time period, but when I initially watched it, still in the middle of what in the hell is this thing? So I enjoyed it quite a bit back then. Base? I mostly agree. Uh, it is a fairly boring episode. Um, I think you do see Danny starting to rebel against her brother a little bit, um, a little bit more so than usual. Uh, and you see some additional, like, there's some characters in, in this episode that I really miss later on, like, um, um, his name escapes me, but he's the uh, the um, Night's Watch guy who goes and, and, and gets all the people, like, recruits all these people. Oh, Yorin, is that Yorin, yes, Yorin, thank you. Um, I, he's one of my, was one of my favorite characters. And then you also meet Serio uh, in this episode, too, who yeah. is, I love that character so much. And I, I will echo that, and I will say the strength of this episode is the character building. Uh, you get to know these characters, and you get to like them. Like, uh, it's a lot of character development, and the way they do it is enjoyable. Yes, from a plot standpoint, um, this is, you know, more table setting and just telling you who everybody is. But I think... Unlike the first two episodes, we got some real uh, depth 
and spent a lot of time with some of these characters. So I, I really, I kind of enjoyed it. I'm not gonna say really enjoyed. It. I'll get to my uh, rating at the end, but uh, let's launch right in. So uh, who wants to start us off? So we opened at the Starks arriving at King's Landing, and I never quite understood why uh, Ned brought. Sansa and Arya with him. I mean, I guess Sansa makes sense because she's eventually supposed to be married to Joffrey, but did they ever give any explanation about why he brought the daughters to King's Landing, especially when they already know how dangerous this is supposed to be? No, besides the fact that I assumed the entire family was supposed to go, and the only Mm -hmm. reason why Catelyn got out of it was because she was watching Bran, who was in a fucking coma. Uh, And then Rob was uh, kind of dismissed from doing this because he's the heir apparent. So he needs to, you know, represent Winterfell in case Ned dies, I guess, or he mm-hmm. needs to be in power. But that's just my interpretation. I don't know if that's right. Uh, Face, you have any feeling about that? Not really. I mean, yeah, you're, I don't recall anything in the books or in the show indicating why they're being taken, other than you're right, Sansa being betrothed to Joffrey. I think it makes sense for her to go, but not so much Arya, really. Yeah, you're right. It does make sense, but whatever. So I'll kind of rip through this, and if anybody wants to stop and make a point, or we can just wait till the end of the, the this kind of progression here. So uh, Stark arrives, Ned Stark, he is headed to a uh, small council meeting, which provides us a better idea of the political infrastructure there. On the way, he runs into Jamie in the throne room, and they have a kind of a back and forth um, recounting what happened when uh, when Ned stumbled upon Jamie after Jamie killed uh, the Mad King. Uh, they also recount, and I think this might be the first mention of it, that several Starks were executed by uh, the Mad King while Jamie Lannister watched. Um, and, I, you know, I think this scene is one of these things where it kind of gives the idea that Jamie feels that his uh, motivations in killing the Mad King were kind of pure, or at least for the greater good. Yeah, they and were he, definitely hinted yeah. at here. We don't, we don't get the full story until later in the bathhouse with Brienne, but this is still the inklings of it I, I believe i didn't even it didn't even touch me as a viewer the first time or a reader no. the first time i don't and think I, this was a book scene but whatever and i still don't get why he i mean i guess that we've talked about it a little bit i still do not understand why jamie is not more celebrated for doing that i mean you can tell ned doesn't like it because ned thinks that well, it's it, uh thing it's against is, his honor dishonor you know? yeah i will say yeah. that it's probably just uh dogmatic it's just like no matter how bad the king is it's your duty to die for him, which is crazy. Uh, yeah. ju- you know, but it's a very pragmatic thing. Jamie killed one man to save thousands, but do the means yeah. justify the ends in that case? And I would say yes, they do. But maybe uh, Ned Stark doesn't know that Jamie uh, saved because because uh, Jamie says this Mad King. What did he say? He said the same thing he'd been saying for hours: burn them all. So I like how the uh, seed is planted there, but. He doesn't really explain himself, and I don't think Ned knew what the fuck he's talking about. And I don't either. This is a lot like a lot of scenes where Ned takes a position and he's he's kind of wrong on the thing. Right. I think he's wrong here. I mean, I think James should be celebrated for what he did to the Mad King. But I agree, but you got to identify with Ned operating from a, a point of ignorance, which I guess is his default situation. But still, <laughs> instead he was involved in the rebellion against the Mad King. Right. Exactly. So uh, it's one of these things where you can't be completely. But logic should dictate, even if he was against the dishonorable act of murdering his king in the back, um, uh, he should still, uh, like, intellectually agree that, hey, this was the enemy. I don't know. And I think the show really tries to, to say that 
the Stark and Ned, or the Starks and Ned, are on the good side of good. Jamie and the Lannisters on the side of evil. And Jamie's an oathbreaker. He broke his oath to the king. He's supposed to protect the king no matter what. He killed the king. And, and you see this throughout the entire show in several different scenes where he's called Oathbreaker, especially the scene with Robert and, and um, uh, Selmy, where, where they, they're both in there talking to the king. And, and it just seems like it's they're, they're trying to, sh- to show the rift right off the bat because, you know, I mean, of course, we know what's going to happen later on. But certainly. And know. I think that's the thrust. That's that's how uh, George R. R. Martin is fucking with you by getting you to like, oh. Uh, ultimately accept and side with a certain group of people or person because they are the quote-unquote hero. Yeah, but on a macro level, they were both rebellious. I mean, they both were in rebellion. Oh, I agree. It's, yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, it's silly. It's just a matter of how they did it. You know, I, I, yeah. so anyways, so uh, it's, uh, we then we go to the small council meeting. And Doug, do you want to describe the small council meeting? Yeah, I will just decide that I will say that in including with Jamie, the meeting here, this is like a kid starting school at the like the first day of school at a new uh, you know facility uh, or being the first like fish in a uh, prison. Like everybody's just trying to fuck with Ned. Like Jamie brought up the like Ned's dead dad out of nowhere just to like yeah. piss him off, and like. Picel or like not yeah Picel mentions like he meets Picel which is the grand maester the uh you know we all know who he is he's the head honcho as far as maesters is concerned and he starts at telling uh, Ned's like I remember when you were just a kid and then Ned's like he doesn't he doesn't want to accept that role of being like a child in his eyes so he turns right around and said yeah you were serving a different king how'd that work out or whatever uh but then like Littlefinger brings up his wife so I feel like everybody's just trying to fuck with him yeah it was interesting seeing these some of these characters too. You forget like how important some of the characters were at some point. Like uh, I almost completely forgot about Renly. I did too. I, I yeah. completely <laughs> forgot about him. I was just like, oh yeah, that guy was a thing for like two seasons. Yeah, I thought he had a good claim too. But this was a lot more also exposition. You know, Littlefinger describes his connection to Cat. We get that there is some kind of bad blood between them, and that Ned doesn't trust all these people. Um, you know, then at the same time, he finds out that Robert Baratheon hasn't been appearing at these council meetings when he's the king and should be actually taking charge. Instead, it's the lords of the small matters, as they refer to themselves. Yeah, he's an absentee dad and an absentee uh, king. <laughs> he's, yeah, we discussed it in the last episode. He's a real piece of shit king. I don't know why he's the king, um, other than he stepped up and took the, the crown, you know? Absolutely. Um, and so then they are staging the, the tournament, and that is when Ned Stark finds out that Robert Baratheon has bankrupted the realm. Um, and I wrote down, thanks, Obama, at that point. Yep. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, and they, they say there's six million gold something or others in debt to uh, the Lannisters, which do we have any idea what the scale of that debt is? No, I mean, I, I, I guess like in the books you get a sense of like there's like coppers and silvers. It's kind of like the – yeah, there's silver like stags, loonies gold and dragon. It's basically like nut. Uh, what is it? Sickles and Canucks or whatever they're called in Harry Potter. It's imaginary money, but we get the idea that like gold dragons are the biggest form of currency there is, or the biggest denomination. But it's a lot of money, though. I mean, six million is like right. It seems it seems like a high number. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. It could be like a. Argentina, or it could be like the yen. Who knows? Well, what was the, in the scene? What, what was the 
what was it, 40,000 gold for the for the tournament? Is that what they were shooting no, for? No, it was 80,000 altogether just in prizes, I think, because it was like 40,000 for the first place winner of this. Then the like first place winner of the archery contest gets 20,000. Yeah, somebody that's else right, gets 20,000. Which, let alone, like, all the, like, having to house people, or I don't know, like, they the, the king probably has to feast some people, I don't know. There's got to be some, like, I don't know, ancillary costs, I would think, with putting up a tournament, besides just the uh, lottery winnings or whatever they're putting forward, but... Uh, and you uh, wonder if it turns into, like, an Olympic situation, where every time they have the a Rio Olympics, situation? It's supposed to bring in all kinds of revenue, but, like, every empirical study shows that the city, the host city... Loses lots of money on the Olympics. It's probably just like how they get um, uh, FIFA, FIFA type events. No, but yeah, it's, it's like how they get rich billionaires to get the taxpayers to pay for their stadiums, right, Bill Simmons? Exactly. He's yeah, Dorn has a Dorn has a 16 year old soccer stadium that's not being used anymore from a few Olympics. Yeah, it's just <laughs> covered in sand. All right, so yeah, we find out that uh, the crown is in debt, and Ned actually flips his fucking shit. He loses his cool, and I feel like. He slipped up like all their little like needling Ned uh, at the beginning when they introduced uh, each one of them introduced uh, or got introduced to him. They were trying to get him off his game. And he what did it was learning that uh, Robert Baratheon has let the crown go to shit uh, by getting in debt and that the John Aaron couldn't keep him uh, under control, which I find hard to believe, too. Like John Aaron was like a father to both Ned and um Robert Baratheon, like the, he was their uh, whatever. What are they called when they are? Uh, are they wards? Yeah, they were the wards yeah. of Robert Aaron, and Robert Aaron didn't have any kids until Sweet Robin. But that was well after, <laughs> and he's well, he is a badass. But that was well after uh, he raised Ned and Robert. So it just seems a little funny that he couldn't rein him in. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you'd think that uh, even as bad of a king as Robert is. Would think, I mean, you'd think you have some idea of you have to not run a complete deficit constantly to keep your kingdom afloat, but who really knows? I guess none of the other uh, behaviors we've seen from him have included any kind of temperance or foresight, so maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Who knows? He's fucking drunk all the time. I mean, what, you know? Unlike... Uh, he doesn't pay attention to his open council meetings, so, like, who knows? You he might know. not even know. You know, just give right. me more money. Right, he doesn't care. Like I feel like he just doesn't care. And I mean, he wasn't he's he is a conqueror or a warrior, not a ruler. And unfortunately, the people that end up on the crown are usually the warriors. Um if not the warriors children. So, sure. All right, uh then we go up to Joffrey's room and Cersei's tending uh, his wounds from the awful attack from the direwolf Nymeria. Uh and he's complaining about the Starks and how he wants them to pay. And how he wants a stronger centralized government. Um, yeah, thanks, Bernie <laughs> Sanders. Uh, no, this is more like uh, this is more like uh, Vladimir Putin than anything. Right. Well, he wants a centralized government, but under a monarchy, so it's all him. Um, uh, and then Cersei tries to like be a parent, but does a horrible job. <laughs> Basically, says that uh, he asks, "Are the Starks our enemies?" And she says, "Everyone who isn't us is our is an enemy." Um, so I like that. That's just showing how crazy she is. It's terrible parenting. I mean, if she he just read a basic parenting book, all this shit might not have happened. Uh, <laughs> she's basically saying, you get to do whatever you want. Uh, I mean, she tries to correct them a little bit and like uh, preaching some sort of 
um, knowing when to to attack and when to save your strength, I think is what she says. But she's just a really bad parent. But yeah, if she would have had uh, what to expect when you're expecting, and maybe uh, he's just not that into you. A oh, lot of problems would have been. <laughs> Doctor Spock's baby and childcare book. I feel like uh, a lot of problems would be avoided, but uh, yeah, not much to say about this scene besides uh, she tells Joff at one point, when you're king, you can make up the rules or make up how you're remembered or what happened. Uh, because he's just like, no, I didn't kill the beast. Uh, the dog bit me and then I cried like a little girl. And she's like, no, <laughs> that's not what happened. No, you slayed the beast. And yeah. actually, he killed his girlfriend's dog. Yeah. Yeah, so son, here's what you do. You you be terrible, you're a tyrant, you lie, and that will make you a great person. That's basically what Cersei's saying to him and And fuck painted whores. Yeah. And and butcher boys. Fuck painted whores. Who doesn't want to do that? Alright, then it's uh then No it's, comment, Doug. <laughs> Alright, then it's lunchtime with the Starks. Um Arya's playing a five finger fillet. And this is like people say that you know Arya was a psychopath based on what she what she experienced in her uh, you know traumas, but I think that's bullshit because we've already seen this the second time that uh, Arya's acted like a fucking psychopath before her father gets murdered uh, in front of her. So I don't think uh, you know it's all nurture. I think some of it is nature, and she's naturally a fucking psycho. Yeah, the seed was there. It's just been watered by the events that have happened. Absolutely. In the show since then. Uh, so Ned uh, tries to bomb with Sansa by giving him the shittiest doll I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> Sansa basically says dolls aren't for baby. And she's thinking about, you know, getting plowed by a prince um, or whatever. And uh, so she's not into it anymore. She's all grown up. Um, and he has better luck when he goes to confront Arya uh, later. And he discovers she has a sword. Um Tells her that winter's coming, they need to band together, uh, and she asked about uh, Sansa, and I thought that was interesting, too, because Ned says, well, you know, um, of course she lied. She's supposed to marry Joffrey, her husband, and she's supposed to stand by him no matter what. So what's the honor in that? Like, is it more honorably truthful, or is it more honorable to stand by your man, um... Either way, I think it's like a it's a it's a call to what um, Jamie says later in the books how you swear all these oaths and you can't keep them all. Thoughts about honor? Well, I mean, you'll notice that this scene is basically takes place right after the Cersei Joffrey scene. They can't be any different. I mean, you got a a great parent or you know sitting his daughter down saying this, 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 and this. And then you have, you know, Cersei just saying lie, cheat, and steal, and or, you know, do whatever you want. So I think they did that on purpose just to, to yeah, show the, the I, conflict. There. I agree that he was being a better parent, but still, like, the advice he's giving uh, her is saying, yeah, of course Sansa lied. And she's got to do her duty to her husband instead of obeying the truth or telling the truth to the king. But again, that's just that's just more. Star- that's how how he is. That's how the family is. It's honor and yeah, duty and exactly. That's the structure of, of families back then. Is the oh, okay. husband's so infallible? She, yeah. So and then once again, uh, Ned constantly is dishonorable to defend his family, like with Lyanna, like uh, admitting that he was a traitor um, to try to save Sansa and Arya later. So I guess that makes sense. But uh, sure. 
Arya. I never understood why Arya had needle out. I would have thought that she would have tried to hide it. From I, at least, back. yeah, if she could have like hit it shittily, I thought it would have been fine, and he could have seen the sword or the hilt or something and said, "Hey, what the fuck is that?" But uh, yeah, it didn't make sense. It didn't. She didn't try to hide it at all. Maybe she wanted to get in trouble. Maybe she yeah. wanted any attention. I don't know. Seems crazy. But Arya asked Ned, "How can you let her marry someone like that?" And you can see Ned was just like not ready for that shit. <laughs> He's just like, "What? Huh?" Yeah, that's like a. Daddy, why did the doggy die? (laughs) And Ned's not ready to answer that question. Um, But I thought that that was... There's really not much else to this scene besides, you know, just ominous shit. Winter's coming. We've got to sit... We come to a dangerous place. I think kids are hard. (laughs) Hard as fuck. Yeah. So so then we see Bran with crazy old Nan. Um... She's telling him, uh, telling him stories. Uh, he doesn't like stories, wants to meet the scary stories. And so she starts to give us some background on the uh, the winter is coming, what all that means, and starts to mention White Walkers. And I don't know. We, I guess we had a little bit of it from the Night's Watch deserter. This provided a little bit more background on what was the ominous uh, beginning of the series and what might be coming in the future. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I do like uh, I do like Crazy Old Dan when she's on the 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 um, on the screen. She reminds me of the lady from Swingers. I don't know what to do here. <laughs> but she's quite adorable and charming. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. Several things about this scene. The first thing is the first thing she says is "Don't listen to it." All crows are all liars, which made me think, <laughs> "Holy shit!" Is the three eyed crow? They rename him the three eyed raven in the show. But is he a liar? Is he a bad guy trying to fuck with Bran the entire time? That uh, can't be it. That's too crazy. Well, then why would they say, you know, crows are liars? Or why would a crow be there to begin with? It, I mean, at the very least, the crow is maybe a uh, looking at Bran uh, is under the, um, is one of the servants of the Three-Eyed Raven, maybe? Is she well, somehow referencing the Night's Watch? I don't know. From a wildling standpoint? Could be. Yeah, if she, but she's a lady of the north. She could be a, a wildling. I don't know. We don't We don't know what old Nan is. But the three-eyed that. raven isn't a war that he would require a raven to actually be looking in at Bran. Well, that's Bran. what, yeah, that's that's what's happening. A crow is sitting on the windowsill looking at Bran, but the three-eyed raven is looking through the crow's eyes. But can't the, in the, the, the television version of the, of the way this works, can't the Three-Eyed Raven just be wherever he wants to be, whatever he wants to be? Perhaps. I don't know. So, yeah. It's I, mean, a very, I think in the book, he needs the he needs the, the animal to walk through. Yeah, it. he needs to see through yeah. the animal or the werewoods, which uh, the show said, we don't need all that bullshit. So, who knows? But um, Trees are expensive. I guess trees Especially are Especially ones with faces in them. Yeah. But trees I just thought that was interesting. Are, the uh, all cro- Crows are all liars. I just thought that was cool. Yeah. Plus, um, yeah, this is everything we know about the White Walkers, pretty much. Yeah, other than they murder shit in the beginning. And okay. there was also the mention of Duncan the Tall, Sir Duncan the yep. Tall, which is, of course, uh, George R. R. Martin has put off, uh, put out the uh, what are they companion? Duncan books Egg. Yeah, it's, it's like a it's a prequel that's so far ahead in the future. It has little to do, but some uh, to do with the main story. If you haven't read them, the first one's absolutely great, and it's very like. It's more uh, enclosed in a lot of medieval peasantry. It basically has to do with a, tur- a tournament the entire time. Uh, it's a great read, at least the first one. The second one's all right, and the third one just, it it doesn't make a lot of sense and is a little bit too involved. 
I read the first two, and I've ever have not gotten to read in the third one due to you saying it stinks. Ah, uh, you should give it an honest try, but it stinks. Don't bother. Um, but yeah, I I want to see. Can we please see before the end of this goddamn series, giant fucking spiders? Yeah. What are that? They've been mentioned. Like the show mentioned them. They can probably just pretend like they didn't. But um, I want to see some fucking spiders. Have we seen the the giant spiders in the book other than No. They're or? just mentioned. They're just and I think they mentioned that the White Walkers ride spiders, including like the dead horses and uh dead animals in general. Whatever. That would be pretty cool. With the spi- are the spiders dead? We don't know. They don't the only time they're mentioned is by uh old Nan. Like we don't see any evidence that it, they really ride spiders. Can't they just like cut and paste from the Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Get, get those spiders, save a couple of bucks. Yeah, just call up Peter Jackson and say, hey, you're a fan of the show? That's great. We yeah. want that spider you rendered. Just insert the scene. I don't even... Or even the spider from Wild Wild West that's like mechanical. You could just slap on some kind of, <laughs> <laughs> some kind of cloth on Wild Wild Winterfell. <laughs> but other than that, uh, yeah, the scene, Rob comes in, ruins everything by, uh, you know, asking how Bran is. Bran uh, learns definity, definitively that his legs are broken and he'll never walk. And uh, he says, I'd rather be dead. And Rob's like, don't say that. He goes, I'd rather be dead. I loved it. Didn't you hear me the first time? <laughs> I stutter, Rob. Uh, but uh, I thought that was well acted by Rob. Like when he asked him, is it true what Master um, Lewin said about my legs? And he's just like, he does this like acting trick where he pretends to think about it and it just it worked i liked it yeah well going back and watching the show again i realized i never really cared for rob all that much and i'm not i can't necessarily put my finger on it maybe it's because there's so many other more uh engaging or broader characters that are or kind of more fun but rob was always kind of a snooze to me yeah and i guess that's for the best because we learn what happens to him if we would have really liked him it probably would have been more um it would have been a bigger blow to our spirits. Yeah, it, maybe I'm looking through it of the prism and looking in retrospect where if he just would have kept it in his pants, you know, a lot of this stuff wouldn't happen. They could have kept the alliance with the fray. Exactly. That's how I look at it. He, he's really the cause of all the problems with what's wrong with the Stark family. One of the many. One of the many, yeah. I agree. Yeah. You can't, I mean, Ned's part of it. Catelyn abducting Tyrion is part of it, too. So there's all these, like... There's lots of blame to go around, but yeah, there, there are these I, I big the, moments. Yeah, the the, the fray one, Rob's betraying the phrase is probably one of the biggest inflection. That points. was the straw that Shit. broke the camel's back as far as collapsing the entire war uh, yes. and defeating. But yeah, the the fact that they went to war in general was, you know, Catelyn uh, basically abducting Tyrion, which is going to happen later in the season. So that was spoilers. The yeah. By the way, there will be a spoiler <laughs> warning sometime. <laughs> In this podcast, we'll get to it. All right, so uh, we go back down to King's Landing, and I do want to say this about this show. There's a lot of back and forth that I did not appreciate where they're going from King's Landing to the Wall to Winterfell yes. to King's Landing for like a, a minute or two. They go to the Dothraki scene, uh, sea, and then they come back. I think later episodes, they learn to just stay in one location for greater chunks of time. Um, yeah, I don't remember, with very few exceptions, other episodes where... They cut from a place and back to that place four, five, six times like they did in this episode. And I didn't like it because I think it kind of takes you out of the scenes when, when it whips back and forth like that. I agree 100%. And I wrote it down. I agree I as like, well, yeah. What the hell's going on? 
But we go back down to King's Landing, and Catelyn arrives uh, and is discovered immediately. No subterfuge at all. She's brought by the City Watch to a whorehouse. Uh, yeah, but I mean, how is she not picked out? I mean, she's the Queen of Winter or whatever her name is of Winterfell, and she's riding with. She's riding with on a goddamn Captain- horse. I'm looking at everybody else, and they're all like walking on the ground, and they all have like drab clothes. And, and how many people are riding with a guy with who has a beard made out of his goddamn sideburns? <laughs> That's like the most distinguishing thing. In the in in fairness, in the book, he does shave them on the uh, way down. Oh god! Not because he wants to be more uh, he blend in, but because he is seasick and he throws up all over him. Oh, that's right. They travel by boat, don't they? They do. They didn't even do yeah. that. They just time warp down, which is fine. But uh, but yeah, she's taken to uh, the whorehouse where Littlefinger and Varys are working together for some reason. Varys found out about Catelyn's visit, um, and I found it really odd that Littlefinger and him are in cahoots here. Um, but it comes out that uh, the knife that was used in the assassination attempt was owned by Littlefinger at one point and lost to Tyrion during a bet. A couple of things I liked about this scene was <laughs> when uh, when Littlefinger was talking to Catelyn and a couple of those prostitutes ran in. He did like a snap, snap, and hissed at him, and they ran yeah, out. Yeah, but he like snapped like three <laughs> times, like, <laughs> and then snapped some more. Like they didn't get the hint the first snap. He had to like snap several times and. Just something about the way, like the snap, snap. <laughs> it was that. I, that was really funny to me. Um, but then I think this scene is also very useful in getting a better idea of how powerful, or at least uh, how much knowledge uh, Varys is able to obtain. I mean, he already knows about this blade. I mean, he doesn't just know that that Catelyn's on the way. He knows that there was an assassination with a Valyrian steel blade. I mean, how many people would have actually known that uh, outside of Catelyn, Rob, and then maybe the couple people ran in after the assassination attempt? I doubt they were putting out press releases about it or anything. Yeah, and I think it comes through a lot more in the books how, like, almost supernaturally uh, Varys has this information. Like, I remember, like, you know, it's one of these things where, as a book reader, you don't know shit. But, like, it's presented to you like he just knows stuff. And it comes out later that, yeah, he's the reason he knows stuff is because all these children, slaves that he gets from Illyrio, uh, and then the books, they have no tongues. But it makes you wonder, like, how he actually gets the information like i'd like to see like a pov chapter of uh vari sitting there and like a kid with no tongue comes in and goes ah, da, 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 da. he goes what ah, da, 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 da. he's like write it down well, oh, even shit. in the books he's a very shady character you very you don't know a lot about him and you don't know about a lot about his methods yeah and you don't trust him either like nobody in the book trusts him and he's obsequious he's like uh very servile and is just like very kind to people, like to the point where it's like transparently um, false. Well, unlike Littlefinger, you don't know what his his motives are. I mean, what who is he serving? I mean, other than I mean, clearly he's going to be serving himself. But what is he? What is he looking for? He's looking for money. He's looking for women, power. He doesn't want really seem to want any of that. Well, he's he serves the realm. putting a Targaryen on the, on the throne. He says he serves the realm, and I do think in the show he's a lot more sincere than he is in the book. Um, and I forgot about that tongue detail from the book. That was fucked up. Yeah, he's, they're uh, mute children. But uh, yeah, he's uh, in the book. He's trying to put uh, Aegon or Phaegon, who we don't even learn about until book five, on the throne. Mm-hmm. And this one, yeah, uh, really, he is hapless. Without that, he is supporting uh, Danny, kind of. Um, I don't know. It's weird because he's he's responsible for assassination attempts. 
and responsible for tipping off, you know, Jorah that there's going to be assassination attempts. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange. So then we go back to the wall and we meet uh, Sir Alistair Thorne for the first time. God, he's so he's a real awesome. Fucking jerk. Yeah. And you know who reminds me of Doug is uh, actually Dave Anthony. Oh, yeah. He looks a lot like Dave Anthony. Like, I yeah. feel like he could be on Marin. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Uh, but anyways, we see uh, John in the yard killing it uh, against all these rapers. Uh, obviously, he's a trained um, fighter, and nobody else is. So, of course, he's beating the shit out of him. Yeah, I wrote it. He's beating the shit out of these recruits like it's the streets of Bravos, <laughs> And nobody gives a shit. Raper fights. Uh, uh, but, yeah, there's not much to this scene just besides... No. Uh, I guess uh, Tyrion's chatting with... Um, yeah. yeah and that's uh they receive some news which of course we find out later is that bran has ar- arisen uh but in the meantime of course we whip back to king's landing and uh Picel is speaking to ned um some interaction about uh with look oh i'm sorry um there's uh oh i'm sorry Shit. yeah Picel tells him gives him the note that i guess the same yes. note of bran Bra- being awake but crippled uh, and Littlefinger uh, jaunts in and tells him that, uh, you know, do you know where your wife is? I do. Yeah. Uh, kind of like nonsense. It's 11 o'clock. Where are your children? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so then he takes, uh, Littlefinger takes Ned to the brothel. And it, right when Ned's kind of strangling him up against the wall, Catelyn pops her head out and says, Ned. And it almost seemed like, I, I don't think this, this was comical. The whole, yeah. the whole sequence is comical. Like, uh, Ned strangling uh, Littlefinger. Littlefinger's like, <laughs> it was ridiculous. There was a and few the way times. Catelyn I thought stuck was... her head out. It reminded me of like a sitcom take. <laughs> yeah, like, like a... Jennifer Aniston. Howdy, Whoa. neighbor. Yeah. You know, something really struck me as odd when I was rewatching this is that I keep going. Everyone is always talking about how, why doesn't Ned, I don't know if you want to spoil a little bit. We will be to... spoiling what happens in the books and the TV show. So, spoiler warning, guys. Last one. Okay. So, why doesn't Ned tell Kat about the famous equation about John? And I, I just, when I was watching this, you know, the, the first scene where Kat and, and Littlefinger, she's clearly upset. You know, she's like, is, is very untrustful of him and, and distrusting of Littlefinger. And then she's like more, a lot more playful in the next scene. It's like, did he flip her that quick? And well, does they like, were in a whorehouse. I imagine there's plenty I, of beds. You know what I mean though? It's like, it's like now it's, it's cool. And is this one of the reasons why he doesn't tell Kat? Because he can't, I mean, it, with Littlefinger, with Varys, with there's so much going on that who can he really trust? I mean, is he that, is he I that just, dense or I, I is he don't that think smart? The, I don't. I think he considers John safe at the wall, uh, so there's no reason to bring it up. Plus, I think he has other matters. I don't think no, John. No, no, is no, no. He, I'm, I'm oh, talking sorry. about like when it first happened. Like, why does he never told Cat in all the years? Oh, we've talked that, about this several times. We have no idea. Yeah, I mean, it just. I just. Well, I'm looking at it in in how how Littlefinger can manipulate her so easily and quickly, and how he yeah. can do that with really everybody. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I think he keeps it to, to you know close close to his and, and lets, lets his own wife think that he you know he basically had so a, you're a saying son, this is evidence the of the son. reason the reason behind it is that there's there's more to Cat in terms of her not being able to hold things in than we necessarily well, know yeah. or she's yeah, easily, I mean, she's easily a, manipulated yeah. in a way yeah I mean I also know what 
again, we've already had that spoiler, but the difference between Cat and Lady Stoneheart at the same time, you know, it seems to me like Cat's very gullible and will listen to anything that anyone says and has no problems with saying anything to anything, especially to her sister, who's clearly a, a raving lunatic. She's mm-hmm. Looney Tunes. You know, Spoilers. can you trust her with that information? She says the one thing to the wrong, wrong person, and then John's dead, Ned could be dead. The whole Stark family could be in ruin. She, yeah, she takes, she finds the knife and then listens to Littlefinger and all of a sudden is arresting Tyrion. Plus, yeah, who, exactly. who knows what happens yeah. when it's that time of the month? <laughs> well, yes, that's true. You just true. hate women. That's it, face. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. All right, so we go back up to the wall and... Um, John is confronted by the people he just beat the shit out of his fellow recruits, and uh, they're going to finally get some payback in the uh, practice room where they keep the play swords or whatever, and they're interrupted, and John's ass is saved by Tyrion, who comes in and and gives basically the backstories of all the guys and is telling John, listen, these guys, they weren't raising a castle. You are a bastard, but you were a wealthy bastard, luckily for you, so you got trained to fight. You know, and he gives these backstories that he's heard from um, Gior about where Pip and Gran, uh, Gren came from. Um, so he's trying to, you know, once again, it's uh, Tyrion trying to be a brotherly figure to John for some reason. Well, also, I think Tyrion is the smartest guy in the room at all times. And he. Uh, this is foreshadowing of his ability to um, to be a diplomat and make people work together. Uh, and, and he, I mean, uh, and he knows that this is in the best interest of everyone there, to, to kind of provide everyone uh, insight, or at least some degree of understanding of the other people in the room. Um, and he also, I think, he also knows that John is good at heart. John just is too young to have perspective on his privilege. Yeah, and he was watching um, the beatings happen, so yeah. he probably knew this was going to be a problem. So I mm-hmm. think he predicted um, what was going to happen with the recruits. So that's why he's there. Yeah, and you even see later on. Tyrion looking down and kind of giving me a wink when John's helping out the recruits later. And we all know that it worked out well on top of that because these guys end up being his boys at the wall. Yeah. And if, I don't know if you'll notice the one person who walked out of that before Tyrion launched into his speech was, um, oh God, raise his name, Rast. Whatever. He's the guy that is a complete piece of shit through the whole yeah. uh, Night's Watch piece of shit. Um, even when we come to Craster's Keep. And the exactly. people that are remaining are the the friends, like the good friends. And exactly. Bonds. So, yes, he conveniently left. I guess let's call it. That's how I took. it. I was like, well, that's convenient story. You know, story plotting later on, and you know, three four seasons away. So uh, Ned and Catelyn are talking to Littlefinger, and Littlefinger is just manipulating uh, Ned and Catelyn. He promises to help when we know that uh, he's actually at probably at the root of this. And then listening back to the last uh, podcast, Doug, I, I, you're you're right as far as who was orchestrating the attempted assassination of Bran. I think you're absolutely correct. And it was Littlefinger attempting to um, start some shit. I guess is the best way. Yeah, to put but it. how? Like I don't like he must have had like how did he know that Bran fell out of the window or was pushed by Jamie or was going to be pushed by Jamie and then take that action? I guess they were there for a while. Maybe maybe he was able to like. Send a raid. He's got spies or, or various various has spies because I mean I think that uh what we see in later episode is that uh that Varys is in the middle of getting this uh Stark versus um Stark versus Lannister fight going. I mean I think he's absolutely he's, I mean yeah. he he basically points to 
the one guy who's not there, like the one Lannister who's not there to defend himself, like they can't go over and like question Tyrion because he's, exactly. he's at the goddamn wall. And plus, it would just ferment more aggression between the two houses. Yeah, so I think the simplest explanation is that both Littlefinger and, and uh, Varys are working together. Uh, Littlefinger has the means to do it. Varys has the knowledge to do it. And so they're uh, setting up this fight between the Lannisters and the Starks. So uh, I there guess wasn't much I, that scene. Yeah, there's not much to the scene, but I guess, but they're not on the same page for anything going forward, which is, I think, a little crazy. That's true. And they are definitely more um, combative in uh, later scenes. As far as, you know, they, they both kind of uh, take shots at each other when they get the opportunity. Yep, absolutely. Anything else happen here? Not really. Face anything? No, not really. Yeah. No, it's just uh, this was all silly. All this, this was all whipping back and forth that really didn't like this. Because uh, all these, like, the last three scenes involving these characters could have been one scene and it would have made sense and would have more drawn you in further, I thought. Yeah. So, or at least gone back and forth in King's Landing and maybe got, cut to Jamie and Cersei and all that shit, which is where we go next. Yes. So we see uh, Cersei and Jamie meeting. They are having a sibling lover quarrel about Bran awaking. Uh, they discuss what's going to happen. And when they, if everybody finds out or if Bran starts speaking, they know Bran isn't speaking yet. Jamie has the gross line, it's going to be the war for Cersei's cut, which I guess is not actually in the book until later. Jamie hey, thinks that's Pain and horrors. You know, it's more yeah. like true talk. And he says something at at one point. He's just like, "Well, I don't care. We'll I'll kill him, and I'll kill this person, and I'll kill everyone. It's just until it's just you and me and the whole world." That's very similar to what she said to uh, Joffrey about everyone who isn't us is an enemy, essentially. Yeah. So it's nice to know that they're of a same mind here. But even more so, I think what Faye said earlier, how they juxtapose Joffrey and Cersei talking to Ned and Arya. You have Ned and Catelyn and how they get along. Um, you know, might, they might not be touching each other as much, and it might not be as gross, but uh, it's definitely showing their dynamic between the Starks and the Lannisters. Uh, this is how the married couple acts um, for the Starks, and this is how the gross-ass Lannisters uh, behave. Uh, yeah, so I think that's done on a, purpose, too. Once again, to, to these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. It's a pretty stark contrast, and you'll forgive the pun. I, it's these, yeah, it's I will these, not. Okay. You are not forgiven. You are officially rebuked. Um, so it's this contrast between these sincere rubes and these just complete sharks. I mean, are the, the two differences in the families, I think. Yeah, I didn't. I never saw the Starks' as hillbillies and rubes until uh, that uh, play that we get in the sixth season where they're recounting the, um, the, the War of the Five Kings and Arya's watching it all. But they really are the fucking hillbillies or like the, uh, you know. They're winter billies. Winter billies, that's like squid billies of yeah. winter. Sure. Anything so else that, to say about this gross scene with their uh, the brother and sister getting close? I, I still, I remember still watching this, still when in the watching it the first time, just being like completely continued to be shocked and disgusted by the incest element of it, and somehow aroused. Oh, yeah, violently aroused. <laughs> sure. So then we go to Ned seeing Cat off. Uh, you know, there's the Typical exchange of, we'll keep each other safe, et cetera, et cetera. But again, not much of the scene and could have been compressed down with other scenes, if not eliminated. I guess, and it's very happy and, uh, you know, obviously it's last time. Well, they're smiling and stuff. (laughs) Well, they're not frowning. 
Yeah. yeah, they're definitely not frowning, I guess. I don't know. They're saying tearful goodbyes, but uh, they'll never see each other again. Um, Shit. Well, we don't, we don't know that. A spoiler alert, they never see each other again. What if they're uh, Lady and Lady- Mr. Stoneheart? <laughs> yeah, Le- Nymeria digs up Ned's bones and delivers it to <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible, Lady Stoneheart. He's just like a like Jack Skellington. Yeah, and then uh, Lady Stoneheart kisses Ned's bones and resurrects him. That'd be awesome. I would love to see that. Uh, and if that's spiders. what it takes to get Nymeria back into into the show. I'm all for it. Yeah. I, I wish Nymeria was still a thing, but as we discussed earlier, uh, dire, dire wolves no longer matter at all in the show. I know, so. I know, well, but it really so irritates sad. me because it's such a good dynamic of the book in yeah. my opinion. And do you agree that they were setting it up in this first season? I, I thought so. I mean, it, it seemed that way. I, I, I really, really thought that they were going to make it you know, the, the, the direwolf symbolic of, of the Stark struggles and what they go through. And, and I just, ugh. I just like to see nightmare just leading this pack of wolves all over the river lands, just destroying everything they see. Yeah, but we'll probably never never get that in the show. Maybe in the books. I I know. And I, well, now one one's dead, so that probably freed up some of the budget. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll see Nymeria show up just to get killed by a crossbow bolt by the hound <laughs> yeah. or something. I don't know. Oh, here comes some whites. Let me just throw myself in the middle of them so they can chop me to bits yep. and move on. <sighs> yeah. Awful. All right, and then what happens next? Uh so then we see. Uh, let's see. We have Robert Baratheon sitting in, I guess, his solar. Oh yeah, talk. I really like this scene. I don't know what it really is. Really liked about. it. Yeah, I thought it was comical, but like fun. He's just like, and then I caved in his chest, and God damn it, I was strong back then. Like I just, I love the scene. I lo- okay, thank you, Face. You you like the scene too, right? Uh, absolutely. I don't just know because they they leave Jamie outside for as long as they do, and then they call him in there. And he just completely just talk shit to him the entire time. Yeah, he never breaks character, but I don't think Robert, he's so drunk he doesn't care. He just wants to hear all these glory days about, uh, you know, murdering people. Uh, yeah, it's like hanging out with your buddy from college and he still wants to talk about the time that you went up to the cow palace. Hey, that sounds like somebody I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't, <laughs> but he's not busy no, watching for, uh, Mike and Molly. For, for me, though, it's the respect. Like, Robert has respect for Bear, Sir Barrison, and then back at Robert and then Jamie comes in. Robert has this, this complete disrespect for Jamie, but Jamie and Barristan have a respect for each other. As, yeah, as because fighters. they bonded in the same conflict. Exactly. Um, and I mean, Robert is kind of on the outside looking in because Robert was obviously in charge of Robert's rebellion and he was fighting <laughs> on the opposite side of both these guys until Jamie flipped his fucking, uh, he turned coat there at the end by killing the Mad King. So he doesn't have this shared conflict that uh, Barristan and Jamie have. Uh, but it's like, it's it's talking about, like, uh, I guess not the good side of war, but the brotherhood that you get with uh, being in combat together and they share this. It's like, I don't know. I, I've never fought in a conflict. I, you know, jokingly tell people I fought in Desert Shield, but. Um, no, no, that's not joking. That's a that's a thing called stolen valor. It's a real problem that we've been meeting to talk to you about. <laughs> stolen valor is that a real yeah. thing? Yeah, you need to return that that that, uh, that uniform you stole. <laughs> I got it off of that Nazi fair and square. <laughs> <laughs> so you wear a Nazi uniform to pretend that you were in Desert Storm. Desert Storm with Rommel, yeah. 
Oh, Desert okay. Shield. Not Desert Shield. De- yeah, Desert Shield. Desert Sh- Get it right, Brian. Sorry. Anyway, but uh, there's just something. I don't know. Face, can you tell me? Like, I can't explain why I like this scene. Just uh, for any other reason besides it's just these guys hanging out and and reveling in glory uh, times. And even though uh, Barristan and Jamie are doing it grudgingly, you can tell they still kind of enjoy it. I don't know what it is. It's a it's a guy scene, and and I, I think I'm drawn to it to that. But I also kind of alluded to it before. It's the the knocking of Jamie, but I, I really like Barrison a lot, both in the books and in the show. And you know, him and Robert have this back and forth about how you know they had their first kills or whatever. And then Jamie comes in, but it seems almost like Barrison uh, and Jamie don't look at Robert as a warrior any longer because he's just this fat fuck who has not done anything except for killed that one guy, and that's the only reason why he's so important. So it's like, yes, you. No, I think we've I, had these stories and everything. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I agree. I agree in a certain way, but I also disagree, and I think that it's more that they have like Robert's just off in his own like land, reliving this thing, and they're grudgingly telling him their stories. But then when Barrison and Jamie tell, talk to each other, they actually have a genuine emotion and a genuine exchange, um, and Robert's kind of like on the outside looking in on that. That's fair. I mean, I, I, yeah, you make a good point. I, I, I can see that point. And also in the books, there's a lot – something that doesn't go and get into in the show at all. But, you know, the, the lore commander of the of – the, um, of the Kingsguard. Kingsguard yep. They keep this big, you know, journal or book or whatever it's called about all the people. And there's – in the book, there's a very good um, – when Jamie becomes the, the Lord Commander, he sees what Barrison wrote about him and, you know, his own legacy. And I, I just like the, the dynamic between the two characters in the book a little bit more than I do in the show. And I guess I'm just feeding off that, watching, rewatching the show again. Right. And and Barrison definitely has some disdain for uh, Jamie, uh, especially when he gets dismissed from the Kingsguard by jo- exactly, Joffrey. Yes. Yeah. He says, what the fuck? What's going on here? And I'm the captain of the Kingsguard and... And Joffrey says, well, now I'll be my uncle. And he goes, the Kingslayer? That's some fucked up shit. So you can tell he still kind of holds a grudge. I, I think it, maybe you're, what is interesting potentially about this is that uh, we're getting these details or hints at these great wars that would have been very interesting. And so they're, the images that they're at least describing are very evocative um, and interesting. One question I had about this scene was uh, Robert Baratheon Supposedly the first person he killed was a Tarly during the rebellion, which seems kind of weird to me. Because would that I mean no the, tar- think- the Tarleys are definitely um Targaryen loyalists uh in the No, in the it's not the, it's least. not who oh. it's not who he killed, but you would think that if it's Robert's rebellion, he would have killed someone before the rebellion. I agree. I guess I don't uh I can go back and study the uh world book, but I'm not going to. Uh but I guess Summer Hall was the first real battle, I guess. I want to say, um, let's just assume that. So, okay. So this wasn't like an overnight coup. This was like a multi-month thing where it would make sense that Robert killed somebody in the beginning stages of it and eventually developed such a reputation as it progressed. Right. I guess, but you're right. You're right. It seems like he started the rebellion before he killed a man, which seems crazy. Like you would have thought he would have gotten into a fight in a bar or in a whorehouse and like, uh, you know, bash some guy's head in with his bare hands at some point if he's such like a strong warrior. I mean, my gods, he was strong then. <laughs> so, do we know anything about the Tarly that he killed? No, I don't. I don't. I think 
I don't know if that's all uh, manufactured by the show, but at least they're giving these call-outs to names that come up later in the uh, books in the show, which is kind of nice. Yeah, it is interesting to hear the Tarly name as part of one of these stories after now that we know Sam a couple, several episodes later. I'll say when you reread the books, that's the first thing you start paying attention to is the more minor houses or the, let's say, the secondary houses, the ones that like... uh, uh, feed in like the Royces, how the name Royce comes up so many times because it's the guy that gets killed in the very first scene of the very show. first episode. Yeah. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. So and John Ron comes back season five and six. So it's it's when you read the book again, you start to pay attention to that shit. Um, and it's 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 fucking fascinating. I don't know yeah. why, uh, but it is. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like the Mormons like a- in the show too. They, they, there's so many important Mormons in the show and in the books that I think the the show kind of gets away from that a little bit. I mean, this last season was the first season I think you actually saw Bear Island. Yeah, but we got to see three. We got to see three Mormons for Mormons, 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 Vermins. I don't think you can. They're allowed to be in this uh, in this domicile, man. Uh, <laughs> I, got, I picked up that reference. Okay, great. Uh, hopefully, yeah. you're the only one. But uh, yeah, that's three uh, Mormons that are kind of like get a lot of screen sign. You got Gior at the wall. You got Jora with Danny, and you got um, Lyanna. Yeah, yeah, the Lyanna, little, yeah, the little badass, little Miss Sunshine. Badass Mormon of them all. But I mean, how important was her mother to Rob's Rebellion in the books? Uh, is that Mage? I think that was Mage, yeah. She had a big hammer. She had a big hammer that she killed people with. I don't remember. I know that one of them died or was taken captured at the Red Wedding. Uh, but they're they're integral. They're like the Manderleys yeah. who don't get mentioned at all except for in the last... It, it, that's true. That's true. Well, that's bullshit. Yeah. Never forget the Manderley. So anyways, to get back on track here, we uh, head back to the Horsey Parade. Uh, Jorah, <laughs> I like Horsey Parade. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Jorah and Danny are discussing Dothraki politics. Uh, we get an idea of the their slave system and that sort of thing, which is building to there's uh, you know there's a lot of things not right with the Dothraki culture. But uh, Danny wants to take a breather. She's confronted by Viserys, um, who wastes the dragon again, just a synonym for de- domestic abuse. He gets whipped like a bitch, like he littered in Singapore or something. Uh, he's forced to follow. And at that point is where you really start to see uh, Jorah start to turn against them and ignore his orders. And I think this is really the beginning of the downfall of Viserys. Not that he's coming from a high point, but this is where he really starts to lose all power, and you know it's going to end badly. You're absolutely right. Jorah thought at the at one point, he's like, who am I going to back? Him yeah. or her? And he said her, which is a smart move. But um, one thing that's just odd is like uh, a lot of people uh, are curious to why... Viserys just shows up and says, you commanded me, um, and Danny doesn't feel like she commanded him to do anything. Um, so some people are saying that one of the few people that she's surrounded with um, who who speak common language, because uh, Danny doesn't speak Dothraki at this point, um, basically told Viserys that he's been ordered to come to Danny just to spark a conflict. I don't know if that's made explicit in the show, and I don't know if it really matters. All I know is I think the most important part is that uh, Viserys shows his hand, and uh, Danny is made aware of how much power she has as the Khaleesi. Um, she's even corrected at one point by her hand mistress, the one that I think is the same one that taught her how to do uh, horsey style. 
Um, <laughs> she says, please don't hurt him. And then she gets a look from the handmaiden and she goes, I command you to not to let him go or whatever. So she changes her like whole tone of voice and she's not requesting anything. She's de- she's commanding. Um, I, I don't know if that's if somebody one of her headmaids is trying to incite a fight because you remember earlier when she sent him sent Viserys clothes. I think it was the last episode. He ran back over and said, stop telling me how to dress like he's just a fucking petulant child. And I don't know that he takes any incitement to to get to these sorts of things. Probably not. But, uh, and I, mean, I don't think it possible. matters. I don't. I really don't think it matters from a from a high point. Like, uh, who gives a shit? I feel like yeah. uh, he's definitely unworthy. He's been made unworthy, and this is just further showing that he's an unworthy king or leader in general. So, not much to say here besides like um, uh, he's made to walk, which uh, they make explicit in the books that. Walking in the Dothraki culture is like the lowest tier or class of human being, whereas he's, you know, a king, supposedly. So it's a real, uh, it's a real fuck you moment for him. Uh, and this guy is such a badass. I just find it like, I don't know, so rough Total to watch, badass. you know. Well, then we, then we whip right back to the wall. Um, and we get this long shot. And I like the architecture of uh, Castle Black, seeing the wall in the background. I think they changed it up at some point, like where the buildings are. Uh, I can't remember what season it was, but when they get attacked, uh, because it seemed yeah. like it's a little set up, a little bit odd um, this time. But I, I, I like the scale of the wall. Like you're just aware of the wall at all times, uh, at least in this episode. Like where the castle ends and the wall begins, and he gets in this, uh, like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a, a medieval lift, elevator, I guess. I mean, yeah, a lift. Yes, just call it an elevator. Yeah. Only British wise, but uh, yeah, but yeah, somebody has to turn that shit. I found, I found like, who's that guy's job? Like, who gets to do that? That sounds awful. Uh, all things considered, it's probably not. It's probably the safest job at the wall. I don't know. Um, you could probably yeah, be, like cooking beets thought, or something. Sure. This well, then you might get food poisoning. This was a cool scene, I thought, because. It really gave you a perspective on the scale of the wall versus Castle Black. Castle Black is a fucking speck compared to that wall. I mean, it's it's almost unfathomable, especially when you think about how, how many are there, like 14 of these castles spread out across the wall? Yep. That, yeah, and how, how many are, like three are manned at this point, I think? Which, yep. I mean, if, any are manned at this point. No, three of them are. It's it's Castle Black, East Watch oh, right. by the right. Sea, yeah, and then the right. Shadow that's Tower. Right. So you have one uh, one on the opposite right. ends of the, near the coast, and then this one. Which, so correct I me if I'm wrong. Uh, it, Castle it, Black wasn't the largest one. No, for some reason it's just like off the King's Road, I think. So that's where the uh, Night's Watch is. Gotcha. The Central Command is where it used to be at the Night uh, Fort, which is where Bran and. Uh, uh, Samwell like pass back and forth. We'll see in I don't know season three. I want to say or maybe four. I don't know. So do we have any idea? I know that there's the maps and the people have tried to put some idea to this, but do we have any idea as to how long in terms of actual miles how long the wall would be? Uh, I don't know. Some nerds will probably say it's like three hundred miles, something like that. Yeah. So I, that's why I don't understand. Is that there's only three castles, and like one's in the middle, and there's one on each end. I mean, there's a hundred miles between, hundred fifty miles between each castle. 
I don't know how the wildlings haven't just already like drilled through the thing. Well, they say the, the, the white... wall defends itself is the uh, the phrase uttered. Um, you know, does it really? Yes. Like if they had, let's say, like wildlings set up like a little village next to the wall, I don't know, between one of the towers, and just have dudes hack on it all day, would they get yeah. through? I don't know. You're right, though. Like, why aren't they trying? <laughs> But why do that when you can just scale over top of it like they did in season three or four or whatever? That's a good question. Like the more the more I guess appropriate question. Why don't they build like a more uh, sturdy structure? Like what's crazy though in the books they like they scale the wall, but then they are also carrying on their backs like segments of ladders. Uh, you would think yeah. that they could build some kind of rudimentary ladder to help them get over the wall pretty easily. Eventually, I mean, if they're given all the time in the world, which sounds like that's what they're given. It's just a fucking 150 miles between these different checkpoints. I don't know. Even if there's 50 miles between them, I, you know, if we, if we look at the scale of it takes a month from to go, go from King's Landing to Winterfell, that wall has to be, uh, you know, miles, I mean, hundreds of miles a while. But anyways, it doesn't really matter. What, are you saying um, you, can keep, you can't keep the Mexican people out of the country? <laughs> I was going to say this... <laughs> We're going to build the wall so high. They'll the still be able to scale over it with uh, ropes and ladders on their backs. Yeah, exactly. All right. And then uh, so, what, this ahead. wall is going to keep the whites in. There you go. <laughs> Jesus. We're going to cut all that. All right. So uh, John meets <laughs> Benjen, and I guess it's like Benjen says he wanted to be there when John saw, uh, you know, I guess the the wall or the what's north of the wall for the first time from such a great height. I imagine it's a pretty awesome view. I mean, it's, it's pretty uh, spectacular even as a show. Uh, but you know, I imagine being like a time before like Pokemon go and Pornhub. This is probably the greatest entertainment you've ever seen. You're like, wow, this is awesome. But okay. But this is what struck me as odd. Like, so he's there. He's, you know, he's clearly been there for several days, if not longer than that. He's about about training. He's getting, Life advice from Tyrion. I would think I'd go up to the wall first thing. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> we get this scene where where Benjen gets to give give him fatherly advice. Yeah, but I I I, 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 yeah, you're absolutely right from a practical standpoint. But uh, seems like a minor. Um, yeah, I mean, it is. It is. It just struck me as odd. I was like, okay, so what, you've been sitting up here waiting for me this entire time. I mean, I've been down yeah, there so for days, practicing for three weeks. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Benji could have been up there this entire time. When is the fucking asshole going to show up here? It's and they probably here. said, hey, no. John, do you want to see the top of the wall? And he's like, no, nah, man, I just arrived. I want to, like, you know, maybe take a nap. <laughs> I, I want to my, pack my stuff away, you know, brush my teeth, maybe take a nap. I want a top bunk, so I got to go quick. Yeah. He sends his new, uh, his new oh, friends up there rapers. and says he's afraid of heights. <laughs> but Benji gives him life advice, and uh, John says... Or John says, "Hey, I'm going with you." And Ben just says, "You're not going ranging with me. Uh, you're not a ranger." And he says, "But I'm better than you're better than nothing. You're nobody. Uh, a man earns uh, or gets what he earns on the night's watch, and not before." Um, so it's a little bit of life life lesson. I thought it was nice. I guess some tough love. Yeah. Um, so far, John, all he's earned at the the walls of beating by his uh his uh co. Rapers? I don't know. Right. So then we see uh, Tyrion and Yorin in uh, Hall talking. Uh, 
about eating uh, bear's balls. Yeah, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff I didn't necessarily write down because we're not doing a line by line. Uh, no, but the bear's balls was, was germane to the story. That's true. Okay, I know that's that's one of the focuses of your shows is uh, or your re- recap is what <laughs> what animal testicles. Hey, I just want to point out the shameful elements, hence the name of the show. Sure, absolutely. So, Brand, uh, Benjamin uh, arrives at the this great hall, expresses his displeasure with Tyrion, um, tells Tyrion he doesn't know what he's uh, talking about. Uh, uh, they're keeping everything safe for fat little lords like him, and uh, basically tells Tyrion that he should take the Night's Watch more seriously. Not a whole lot to the scene other than uh, Benjamin is little bit emo a little bit self-important i feel like he had that like just built-in uh prejudice against the lannisters just like ned does yeah yeah and he i mean he kind of did a you want me on that wall you need me on that wall kind of speech yeah like uh you want the truth <laughs> you want answers i don't even know how that goes but basically it's a it's the uh standard. Not like that <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's how it goes it says you want answers you want the truth well, I got the truth. Uh, we're cutting all that, by the way. Uh, but, um, yeah, he basically gives him the same speech that you get, like, uh, time after time about, like, you know, we're fighting for your freedom so you can sit on the couch and watch TV all day. I'm out there. Me and my buddies are fighting and dying for you. Um, but Tyrion says, you know, I don't believe in the supernatural shit. Uh, you guys always talk about, I just believe there's wildlings and wildlings are people just like us. They just have the misfortune to be born on the other side of the wall. And Yorin's there the entire time and just staying out of it, just as a good drinking buddy should. He's just like not saying anything. He's just keeping his mouth shut. Uh, so well, Yorin like knows, he knows that Tyrion could be a uh, potential valuable asset in restocking the, uh, the, well, he's it's made uh, apparent right away where he's just like, you're coming with me and we're not sleeping in the, in the fucking mud like yeah. common people we're gonna stay in feather beds in the finest hotels so that paid off real quick yeah and, and then that's, that's, that's like a, there's such a uh i'm sorry i mean to cut you off but when you have yorn and Benjamin sitting next to each other there's just a, a, such a difference in the way they're looking at things like yorn is the realist he's and Benjamin's like the holier than now i'm gonna do this i'm duty bound to do this yada 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 absolutely and, and yorn's just you know, keeping his mouth of- shut he's he's not trying to like convince Benjamin one way or the other, or convince Tyrion the other way because he knows that people are just going to believe whatever the fuck they want to believe and he's just staying out of it. So I, exactly. And even Maester Aemon isn't like that at all either. Isn't yeah. like what at there's, all? There's... Isn't, isn't like uh, duty-bound and honor-bound. He's more of a realist than like more Yorn, more even Lord Commander Mormon. He's, they're realists and, and Benjen isn't like that at all. He's more of a Stark than he is a Crow. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that there is some parallels to at least what an outsider would perceive about the army, the at least the army, the, like the United States military, where there are certain people who go into it in order to um, defend the country and the greatest principles, and this is the greatest country in the world. And then there's a lot of people who end up there as this is a last resort kind of thing. Hey, we, have a friend, we have a friend whose dad went to join the army um, during the Vietnam era because the judge says you can either go to jail or you can go uh, to war, and he chose war. Yeah. So it's not like this is something that's so different from our real world. Um, 
you know, this is well. I mean, there is a pretty big distinction in that. No, this is exactly say, the same. There's dinosaurs say, that say, fly. They don't say, "Hey, you're a raper. Either get your balls cut off or go join the U.S. military." <laughs> no, and they still don't do that now. I'm just saying that back in the you know late '60s when this happened to one of our friends' fathers, he was uh, basically uh, he got arrested for vandalism and basically public destroying public property, and the judge was going to throw the book at him. Um, if a he, literal book. Yeah, like a heavy one. Encyclopedia Britannica. Like like book one of Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so cover. I just want to say, yeah, there's there's plenty of parallels, uh, but your point is taken. Like some people join uh, the armed forces or any order just because they don't have a lot of options, and that's you know that's fine, um, but they shouldn't be like looked down upon for it. No, I think it's funny that of course the the most serious people. At the wall are the Starks, like the people who believe in the principle the most. Of course, it's the the Starks. Yeah, the Starks are going to be Starks no matter where you put them. Yeah. Like if they did own a whorehouse, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> Starks are going to start. Stop. Just stop Starks, right there. Starks are going to start. Yeah, there you go. So then we go back to uh, the horsey parade. They're stopped for the night. Danny is learning to speak Dothraki. That's where we learn that she's pregnant with a horse prince. Uh, the news is passed on to Jorah. Yeah, but we learned that about because of a boob grab. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Don't forget. No, it's, yeah, there's got to be a little uh, potential lesbian action if you're going to convey that she is with, with Horse Lord. Yeah, I was uh, about to fall asleep, and then I saw boob action, and I said, wait a minute, she's pregnant? What's going on here? Yeah. So uh, then Jorah hears the news, and he has to go leave to go somewhere else. And, of course, we know that he is going to inform I guess varies at this point is the uh, recipient of any information he passes on. Yeah, I understand that they have to do this in a condensed fashion, but you would think the Dothraki guy he was shooting the shit with would be suspicious of him, saying, I gotta go. We just found out this important note news, but I gotta take off real quick. No, but I'll be right back. I'll catch up. The horde's yeah, big. Don't worry about it. Yeah. No, we got important news. No, don't worry. I just gotta get away for a few minutes. I gotta get a spicy chicken sandwich. I'll be right back. Gotta go see a guy about a thing. So, not much of that scene. Not not a whole hell of a lot. And then, uh, let's see, after that, we go back up to the wall, you know, because your neck didn't hurt from all this whiplashing. Um, and John is taking Tyrion's advice, and instead of beating the shit out of the other boys, he's still beating the shit out of them, but also giving them advice and telling them how they can be better. Um, so, there's and that. And we actually, then we meet uh, Amon Targaryen for the first time, who discusses the winters, and I think this... They might have mentioned this before, but I think this is uh, the first time that we really get a sense that the seasons in in uh, Esto, uh, Westeros are really weird. Yeah, he said this summer has lasted nine years. That gives you yeah. the idea of... You know, Tyrion he, says he's been alive for eight or nine winters. Right. Which I don't know why they count their age in winters if the winters don't actually have any degree of consistency. I thought the same thing, uh, yeah, but I think it's just point. more like... How many trials and tribulations have you been in? Because in the book, okay. it makes it seem like, especially up north, uh, you know, when men get older, they don't survive the winter. Like, they'll go off, quote unquote, hunting and never come back um, because they don't want to be a burden on their family and, and rob resources from them. Um, so, uh, being a man and surviving a winter, or just being a person alive and surviving a winter, is supposedly a big deal. But yeah, when there's no consistency to how many winners there are, it's pretty meaningless. It also seems like if a guy is, I don't know how old Tyrion's supposed to be, maybe 30? 
Yeah, I thought I started doing the math. I was like, okay, thirty less nine years. That means in twenty-one years, there's been nine winners. That's yeah, like what's, two what's years. The big deal? Yeah, that's like a winner every other year. That's not that big of a deal. Yeah, you think that they would kind of separate out the kind of long winters where it gets to the point where people are turning to cannibalism and they can't leave their houses or whatever. Versus, hey, it's cold for a little while. I, I don't think, uh, yeah, we never get a good sense of that, at least in the show, and uh, that the fact that these winters that Tyrion probably experienced were maybe mild, very mild, and lasted very... I do appreciate the fact that they said this summer has lasted nine years, but I would have liked to have heard how long the winters, the nine winters that Tyrion experienced lasted. Um, well, going going back really quick to, to Arya and Ned's conversation, didn't he make a comment to Arya about how she's never experienced a winter? Yeah, and she's probably nine or ten, ten or twelve. Maybe yeah, she's older, older than nine years. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. That's I mean, a, I don't know. I was just yeah. That's a point. very good point. Um, that doesn't make a lot of sense. She's definitely older than nine, for fuck's sake. Um, yeah. Here's another thing too: is um, the you know when you you've seen people draw maps of Esteros or Esto Essos and Westeros. It's Esther. Yeah, Esteros. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. Custard. <clears throat> yes, sure. So I don't, I don't understand the geography of it. In that Westeros would have had multiple of these winters in Tyrion's lifetime, but it seems like uh, Essos. Is, it, are, is Essos? What is it? It's Essos. Essos. Okay. So why hasn't Essos experienced any of these winters? They have experienced a long night, and that's something that we get later in the books, like from other okay. people's point of view. But yeah, we don't. We don't we don't get a lot of like in Slavers Bay. Is it like I don't know Arizona, where the you know I don't even want to say I don't know anything about Arizona or someplace you know in the tropics where winter just means it's you know in the mid eighties and it rains a lot. Uh, we don't know. We don't know what a long winter so would be like I, I in these the, different areas. Maybe the orientation you see when you see like people have drawn maps. The orientation is like there; those two continents are parallel to each other. Which wouldn't make any sense yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, but one's more uh, east-west, and one more is, is more north and south. Westeros is so. more north and south, and then like Essos, the farthest north they go is like the neck. Uh, like oh, Bravos, is Bravos, yeah, Bravos isn't doesn't okay. go that far north. It doesn't seem like. Okay, that makes more sense then. Okay, thank you for that explanation. Yeah, no problem. Here to give you the uh, exacting yes <laughs> book knowledge. <laughs> So Precise. then Amon, Amon's talking to uh, Tyrion, discussing how they've seen wildlings fleeing and they've been seeing White Walkers. Of course, Tyrion still thinks these are Grumpkins or whatever the heck they, they refer to. I still want to see a picture of a Grumpkin. I don't anyways, even know what the description is. Yeah, we don't even know what it no. is. We just know they're, it's almost like saying ghouls and goblins. And or, snarks. Yeah, what the fuck is a yeah. snark? I don't know. Uh, Amon... Says they're short on men and resources, begs for help from Tyrion uh, due to Tyrion's position of potential influence, but it's about it in this scene. Yeah, you can tell Tyrion did give Master Aemon some respect there. Like, he yes. wasn't like uh, joking. He respects his age and wisdom. Uh, and I don't believe we know that Ma- Maester Aemon is a Targaryen at this point at all. I was just about to say that. Yeah, it's interesting. That, that is interesting that this can character has such a uh, a crazy origin and he's just there at the wall and he's some old geezer begging for help i mean that, that's interesting to me that some of these people have these histories that we have no idea about absolutely 
And it also is, it, it's an interesting parallel to Jon Snow in that, you know, if anybody knew that Aemon was a Targaryen and he was not protected by having taken the vows, I mean, Robert Baratheon might have him killed because Aemon might have a claim to the throne, just as, you know, one of the things that we kind of theorize is that Jon goes to the wall yeah. and takes the Black Order to be protected from any potential assassins. Yeah, like you were saying, you think Ned uh, said, we'll discuss your mother when I see you again because he'll, he's assured that he'll be safe on the wall. But I don't think like being safe on the, I don't think the wall would make him safe from Robert. If Robert found out, he might want him dead regardless of whether he's in the Night's Watcher or not. You know, we obviously saw how he reacted to hearing that uh, Daenerys is across the narrow sea um, so far away and there's never been a report that, you know, Dothraki has ever crossed an ocean. All that nonsense. But, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know if he'd, ne- he'd necessarily be safe to Robert. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, right. I, I think Robert would would kill him more out from an emotional standpoint than a political standpoint. Probably, and the fact that he's yeah. Rhaegar's kid instead of the Mad King. Like, I feel like, um, you know, Robert might hate the Mad King and his brood, but Rhaegar is who he has a real problem with because that's supposedly who he um, murdered uh, or raped and murdered his uh, his betrothed. So. Exactly. So, Good yeah, question. I don't think he would be, uh, John would have been safe even if it came out uh, that he was a Night's Watch and it came out that he was a Targaryen. Fair enough. Okay. So, uh, let's see. We we whip back to uh, the horsey bed and Danny and Drogon are, or Drogo are just uh, hanging out and she says that we're having a boy. He says, How do you know? And she says, I just know. Nothing really happens here, but uh, we it was once again terrible pacing by going all the way back to there just for this one, like, I don't know, one-minute scene. Anything to say here? No, the only thing I would say is that um, this I think this scene might illustrate that they're more, more on equal footing as far as ruling together than before. It kind of shows that the uh, she took charge in the bedroom is working out a little bit. But more because now they're cuddling instead of he's just banging her from behind uh, without her input. And but you know, I, I might just be reading way too much. By her it. input, do you mean pegging? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Face anything? No, I mean I, I agree with Brian. I mean it's like Thoughts you got a, a minute, a minute <laughs> uh, scene just to say, "Hey, woman's intuition." You know? Okay, great. Yeah. Move on. I'm with horse prince. Yeah, it didn't seem to add a whole lot of anything, and I really question why I was in here. Um, I, maybe, I mean, the writers maybe still finding their footing. Who knows? But this is still when uh, George R. R. Martin was supposedly in the writer's room, but who knows how much he actually Yeah, was. I don't know who wrote this particular episode or directed it, but uh, we should look that up while while this is happening. I'll do that right now. All right, great. I'll describe what happened. So then we go back up to the wall and Tyrion's pissing off the edge which is kind of nice uh, we've seen several uh, men pissing in the show which seems to be another fetish of the showrunners um, and he say, gets, says goodbye to John and John mentions that he will miss him which I thought was kind of nice once again that brotherly affection is coming through and they very well might be brothers so uh, that would make a lot of sense uh, he asks him if he'll stop in Winterfell and if he does he'll ask about Bran uh, we know, looking forward, that he does stop in Winterfell, and he builds that um, specialized 
um, harness saddle, or, saddle. or saddle. Yeah, because he knows what it's like to be too small to ride a horse. He built a special saddle, and he's willing to give the design so that Brand can still uh, ride a horse even in this condition. Um, I don't remember the scene being like um, important when I first watched it. I mean, of course, I probably don't remember it, but there's a little more meaning to it once you 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 know what's happening. You know, later on in 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 the or in the uh, in the series, uh, I actually really like this scene watching it the second time. Why? By what what? What Just you like? because you have two houses like as more who are mortal enemies, right. but these two don't really—it's not that they don't give a shit. They do, but like it's almost like it—they're it, it, above that. Yes. and both characters are above that in a lot of different ways. You're right. It's it's two characters, and even if they are Targaryen bastards, they're still uh, part Lannister and part Stark. So it is showing how the two families can get along. Um, they can put their differences aside and have mutual respect and uh, admiration. They're cutting through like this animosity that's almost manufactured yeah. by shitty members of their families or inherited. Yeah, yeah, and also it's also um, a, not a parallel, but we do remember that uh, Tyrion, when he was captured by Jorah later, he was pissing off like into the void uh, in that whatever the hell town that was. That is Volantis, but very good catch. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so Benioff and Weiss wrote this episode, of course. Those guys D-D-D. are terrific. Yep. <laughs> the best. The best. And it was directed by some guy, Brian Kirk, who directed season episodes three, four, and five of this season. Hasn't directed since, and then he just done random shit like the uh, episodes of the Tudors or a lot of nonsense I've never seen or heard of. Great, uh, but I, I... So, there we are. That's fine. Um, anything else to say about this scene? Because I want to get to my favorite, I guess not favorite scene, but also uh, mainly favorite. Like this, I love the ending, how this, this episode ends. All right, go to it. All right, so Arya meets her new fencing or uh, sword fighting master, Sirio Pharrell, because I'm happy... <laughs> And he's oh, the Jesus. no 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 podcast is canceled. So he's the new instructor, and it's weird because he's from Bravos. He used to be the first sort of Bravos, and he starts fucking with Arya's identity right away by calling her boy. Is this just coincidence? Before I go any farther, is this coincidence or is this show his connection to the faceless men? Damn you for stealing my thunder. Yep. <laughs> But I thought this when I saw this. Yeah, when I saw it, I was like, "All right, he's already calling her boy." That's the first thing he does when she walks in the room, and that's like, you know, is she not? Is she no one? But still, the whole thing when she was practicing as a faceless man was losing or changing her identity, and she finds her identity as Arya Stark again. So he fucks with her identity, and he's from Bravos. I'll I'll do you one better. Um, You don't ever see Sirio die in either of the books. Or in the movies, or in the movies in the show, they are I wouldn't be out, out out there to say that it's not actually who we all wanted to be. What do you? What there's okay. So what are you saying? Because like uh, one of the popular theories is that Jake and Hagar is serial for all. Uh, what are you that's, saying? That's what I would. I guess deep down, that's why would who would want it to be. Yeah. I don't think it's likely. Um, right. But I, I mean, I, I do think that there is a correlation between those two characters and the faceless. I mean, we know that, that Jockin has a correlation with the faceless, but I think Sirio does as well. Yeah, and uh, being that the show can give us this wish fulfillment that the books can't, 
I don't know why they wouldn't do that unless it's Jermaine somehow that Serio Pharrell isn't Jake and Agar. I mean, they made the kindly man who is another character. Uh, Jake and Agar is only in Westeros and helps her like, you know, get out of Heron Hall and escape and stuff. But when she gets to Bravo, she's not trained by Jake and Agar in the book. She's trained by the kindly man who is mm-hmm. and the waif and the waif's not nearly as much of a, uh, see you next Tuesday as she is in the uh, show. But they made the kindly man in Bravos, Jake and Agar, just for, you know, fan service. Like, hey, we really like this actor. He can be the same person because who gives a shit about the kindly man? Well, then why can't he also be Serial Pharrell unless it means something? Um, or there's some connection. Will Do you think this will ever come out either in the show or the books? I, I can't speak for the books, of course. Um I mean, no, I think, just your thoughts. What do you like? Yeah, think it'll I, happen, likelihood, or would you want it to happen? I'd I'd like it to happen, but I would want it to happen. Yeah, I mean, Serio has been to me one of my favorite characters in the entire series, and I'm not talking just in the show. I'm talking in the books too. It, it's he's it's always just been he's always just been a character who I really like. It, it, it's, it's he's comical. He's fun. Even yeah. in this episode where he throws the sword at her and she doesn't catch it. Like, you will catch it next time. It, you, like, you fall in love with him. There's a little comedy this, to him. Yeah, you fall in love with him in this five-minute scene. Uh, exactly. You want you want him to be your, like, instructor or your, like, coach. Uh, you know, like, we talk about Coach Davos. Like, Coach Davos doesn't have these jokes. He's not this whimsical. You know, this guy is awesome. Like, I don't know. What it really is is you see him and... Aria and to a lesser extent Ned who's watching in having fun which that yeah. doesn't happen ever in, in the show at all well that's what for I, any of yeah these characters. you're right and uh that's what it goes back to what my initial impressions of the show and how it was character driven it this episode took the time to like uh you know wallow in the characters interactions which I like um whether they were for good or for bad, you got to know the characters on a deeper level in this episode compared to the first two. So I think this was another example of that. But I did think it was, um, I'm not going to say masterfully done, but I think well done the fact that they're fighting and Sirio, you know, jokingly says dead, you know, after he defends one of her attacks and dead, dead, dead. And then the music, which has been, you know, jovial and... Uh, whimsical starts to get a little more ominous and Ed's watching and he hears dead, dead over again and mm-hmm. you start to hear the clash of real metal um, and it's a really ominous feel. Um, it could have been done a little bit more ham-fisted and it could have been uh, I don't know, in more in your face, but I thought it was done very nice. I, I appreciated it. I, I agree. It's like you have, the, you have the fun part and then it kind of slowly brings you back to the reality of what this is going to be this is for Game the of rest Thrones. of the series. Yeah. Nothing, nothing works out. If you think there's going to be a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. Correct. I thought it was pretty well done. I, I, I don't know. I just, um, I never, I never found Serio that fun. I don't know. Really? I guess it's just me. Maybe it's in retrospect. I kind of like look back at it and go, why, why doesn't the the greatest sword in Bravos have a goddamn sword when those people show up to attack him? You know? Um, well, he's training <clears throat> a little girl. That's why he doesn't have a okay, sword. Okay, fine. That's not a good explanation. Why no, it the- isn't. I mean, he could have picked up a sword from one of the dead Lannisters that he that he does kill with his wooden sword. But- yeah, I don't know. I, I, I understand why people like him a lot. He just didn't uh, grab me that much. Do you? <laughs> do you? Yeah. Do you understand? It's an odd tone to take. Yes, I do understand why people 
like him because it is fun. I mean, it's fun. He's fun, but I don't know. Just, All right, Brian's a heartless I don't bastard. I don't know all right, yeah, that's sure. that's how the show ends in the podcast. Way to bring it down. All right, uh, I'm gonna give my oh, rating. I'm gonna say uh, I don't know. I'm gonna go three and a half. I enjoyed this episode, uh, but it was slow to develop. But I did like the character development. I thought it was kind of well done, and dare I say, well written, which is uh, strange. Besides some comical parts, uh, I thought it was very well done. Either you guys. Um. I, I would I wouldn't be far off. I would say maybe a little bit less than that. Maybe a three out of your five star rating. Um, yeah, for the is, same reasons. It's half. For the same so reasons. it's a ten yeah. point thing. So six, whatever. Yeah, I'm going I'm, I'm back not good and at forth. Math. I, I'm, I'm going back and forth between um, Publix jerk turkey sandwich and a pastrami sandwich, and I think I'm going to go jerk turkey sandwich. Okay, that that seems to suit you, jerk. Yeah. So uh, that's good. <laughs> Just, just taking a very accusatory tone at the end of the thing. All right. Well, anything else to say about the episode in general before we uh, sign off? I I think this is a was a good episode in the beginning of the series because it continued to explain. It did a really good job explaining who these people were. But in looking back at it, it just didn't have that much action. And once you know all these things, it's not that exciting to see these things again. And also the whip back and forth pace to me and to at least subtracted a, a sandwich grade from it. So I agree with that. Um, I agree. They're learning as they're going. And I don't know if they meant these things to be watched over and over and over again. Maybe they did. Uh, but if you're right, I mean, it, it, it was nice to watch again a second time. I don't know if I'll watch it a third time. If I ever watch these, the series again, maybe I'll just poke around. To just the watch hard home over and over again. Yeah, it's all right. Hard home's Okay. Okay, the last 30 minutes of Hard Home. We've actually recorded a Hard Home uh, review that we haven't aired, and our first uh, 10,000 Patreon subscribers will get access to that <laughs> <laughs> to that episode. Um, uh, no, but we really did record that, and it will come out one day. Or maybe uh, when we catch up and we've gone on to Season 5. Who knows? Yeah, if we haven't uh, committed a, into a murder-suicide <laughs> pact before then. I'm thinking just suicide. Double suicide. Double suicide. And we'll determine if we get a guest suicide. <laughs> and by the way, uh, yes, thank you, Face, for being on. And thank yes. all our guests. Uh, we had Jim. We had um, uh, uh, Jeff Van Driesen. We had Snacks. Um, thank you for being on, Face. Um, no, I appreciate you having me. It yeah, was a we, pleasure. We're gonna, and We're going to keep uh, mixing in guests as we go through the recap just to keep it fresh. So yeah. uh, we are invited back. And any listeners, if we know you, yeah, You're especially females, freak. females. Like I would love to get oh, yeah. a woman's perspective on uh, the Game of Thrones and how uh, we're doing as douchebags covering the uh, the series. Uh, oh, yeah. But I don't know. Bring any... out the girls. Bring out the girls. Bring out the girls. But uh, no, legitimately, if, if there are any female listeners out there who want to be on the podcast, you will be on sight unseen. Uh, just because I'd love a female perspective. My wife doesn't watch the show. She doesn't care to. I think it's all the weird, gross sexual violence and the, uh, you know, gore and blood and shit and incest. I don't know what it is. I can't pin it down, but I can't. I don't know any, uh, <laughs> don't know any females who'd want to be on the show. Your wife's a scientist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, she doesn't have an imagination. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, any uh, any ladies out there who would love to be on the show, please all the uh, ladies, reach out. All, all the, the single single ladies, single ladies specifically. Uh, yeah, reach out to us at a game of thrones at gmail.com. Go to the website, Ashamed of Thrones. Did I say a Game of Thrones? I meant Ashamed Wait, of Thrones. So, th- did you, Doug, what? did you just do an open call to anybody who listens to this show to be <laughs> Any females. This might have been a bad move. <laughs> any females. And if you do a good enough female impersonation, you can be on the show, but you got to never break character. Uh, <laughs> that's my uh, uh, my one uh, caveat. That's, that's the Doug promise. That's the Doug promise. All right. Uh, this has been going on long, way too long. Once again, Face, thanks for being on. Uh, feel free to join us anytime in the future if you like. Uh, and this is... What's my name again? Doug? Uh, speaking <laughs> for Brian, <laughs> thank you for you joining quoting, us. you uh, Blink-182. <laughs> What's my name again? Oh, God, I hate Blink-182. Anyway, guys, uh, thank you for listening, and see you next Tuesday. Thank you, Rob. sorry. And I'm sorry Dude. as well.